from Kurtco Media. This is Cars That Matter. This is Robert Ross with Cars That Matter, and I'm here with an old friend and the president of Lamborghini Club America, Andrew Romanowski. Andrew, welcome to the show. Robert, thank you for having me on today. It's an honor to be part of your podcast. Well, it it does seem like one of those things where you could literally spend hours and hours going deep into the minutiae of Lamborghini, but I think this is really an opportunity to share not just some Lamborghini tidbits, but acquaint them with what I consider to be one of the most dynamic and active clubs in the whole Mark spectrum. Like I say, LCA, Lamborghini Club America, something kind of special. You've done an amazing job with it. Well, thank you, Robert. I really appreciate that. And it's a function of a few different things. You know, first, the Lamborghini Club, although it's smaller, it has a very deep penetration into the market. So we have a high percentage of owners in America are club members. And we have a large international group of members as well. So the the club, it isn't, you know, a size of like the BMW Club, which has 40 or 50,000 members. And although they are very big organizations that do a lot of great things and they're very successful, the percentage of members to owners is smaller than what we are. So we have several thousand club members and there may only be 15 to 20,000 Lamborghinis in North America. Isn't that amazing? Well, you know, you're, you're obviously no stranger to the world of Lamborghini. You're an owner, you're an enthusiast, and you're really the best friend of a lot of owners who need a connection. We'll talk about that a little later on because connections are what the Lamborghini Club is really about. But you mentioned that it's a smaller organization because there frankly aren't that many Lamborghinis to go around. And boy, talk about a, a rare bird back in the 60s and 70s and early 80s, Lamborghinis were really something rare. And I guess the club goes back that far, doesn't it? To like 1975 or something? Uh, Was it? Uh, you're spot on, Robert. The club was founded in 1975. So it's uh, 45 years old now. Who started the club? Was that Jim Hetty or was someone else? No, it was someone else. So to be fair, it, a gentleman, the first real club president was a guy named Don Tognati. Oh, right. Don, right. Yeah. The club leadership, it's a labor of love. There's no paycheck or anything like that. You're donating your time, but there are perks to it. You get to make connections, make good friends. That's how you and I met, for example. And it's connections that are otherwise impossible to make. That's right. So, you know, especially taking on a role of responsibility in a club. You get to meet more people and interact with more facets of the brand. So that's what it's done for me. Well, boy, isn't it a fact back in the Stone Age, so to speak, of Lamborghini, the brand was a whole different animal than it is today prior to the Audi acquisition of the mark. And I guess by the time the Murcielago started rolling off the line in 2001 and followed by the Gallardo, it became a whole different kettle of fish and a much more active group of drivers back in the 70s. I mean, gosh, you hardly had a handful of cars. Yeah, yeah, you hardly had a handful of cars, and there were only a couple dealers in the country. So what you had was a club that was founded for mostly technical resource. That's right. There really wasn't much of a social angle of the club back then. It was primarily focused on having resources for 
buying, selling, and trading parts and knowing where to go to get service. You know, isn't it the truth? I remember talking with a fellow named Jack Robbins. You know Jack. He's Yeah, of course. Jack was the original West Coast tech for Bob Estes, who was the West Coast importer. Mm -hmm. Jake Kaplan imported the cars into the East Coast. And this is back at the beginning of Lamborghini when my old 400 GT was imported and your Miras were coming into the country. We'll talk about those later. And Jack told me a story years and years ago. I guess he had flown over to Italy with Bob Estes to see Ferruccio and tour the factory and and basically begged and pleaded with Ferruccio. He said, please, will you produce some service manuals for our mechanics in America? <laughs> and Ferruccio blew up and said, if I wanted the cars to be fixed in America, I would make manuals. Owners are supposed to send them back to the factory when they need repair. Well, <laughs> can you imagine that? Shipping your Mira back to San Agata back in 1970 to get a new water pump put in. Right, right. Times were different. <laughs> well, speaking of times, when did you take over the club, Andrew? So I came to Lamborghini World in 2005 when I purchased my Diablo, and I immediately joined the club. And I found that the club was smaller than other clubs I'd belonged to at the time. For example, I was a member of the Viper Club America, and, oh, yeah. you know, the Viper world is a lot bigger than the Lamborghini world. So it was a little bit of a, a difference in culture. So I started to volunteer and help out. And I first took over the Midwest region of the club. And then as Jim and Joan Hetty retired around 2011 and 2012, we did a full transition and I took over the club completely. Well, you've certainly put an insurmountable amount of work into it and achieved some really great things since. Obviously, the mark has changed, the club has changed. But what I like about the club is that there's really room for everyone. Old cars and new cars. This is what makes it exciting. Yeah, there certainly is. And what's important about that is that we are all Lamborghini owners, and it is one of the core values of the club that we are inclusive to old owners and new owners. Some of the vintage Lamborghini owners don't like the new cars. Some of the new cars just don't know anything about the older cars. So Having that diversity in the club creates a lot of opportunities for education and experience for cars that you haven't experienced before. That's absolutely true. And we've had a lot of club members transition back and forth from one to the other or add another to their collection. You know, I wanted to ask you about that because that to me is what's fascinating. You know, somebody goes out, they buy a brand new Huracan or, or a Ventador or an Urus or, or whatnot. We'll talk about some of the new cars later on in this conversation. But what amazes me is that someone might not really be aware of the fact that Lamborghini made cars back into the 60s. I know when I've shown my old 400, I've had people marvel and say, you mean that's a Lamborghini? I, I didn't know they were that old. People assume that they sort of like the birth of Venus sprang from a clamshell as a fully formed Countach and that there was really nothing before that. But in fact, there are old Lamborghinis and those points of history are what make the mark so absolutely fascinating when people start to learn about those cars. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up. When I joined the Lamborghini ownership community, Something that I found was that almost every owner knew the entire model range. Mm -hmm. And in addition to knowing the model range, they knew a bit about the brand. They knew who Fruccio Lamborghini was. They knew that he was a farmer and built farm equipment. And they also knew who Valentino Belboni mm -hmm. is, retired, famous test driver. And they knew a lot about the culture and the things that go along with Lamborghini. 
Now you have a lot of modern owners, which is important to the sustainability of the brand in the club. And it represents an important milestone for growth to the brand. But these owners are sometimes making a less emotional decision when they're buying the car. Mm-hmm. They're buying the car maybe because of the performance numbers or how raw the design is. The influence of the Lamborghini brand history or the culture is absent or unknown to a lot of new car buyers. So that's one thing that the club has noticed, and we've been working to help to educate the new Lamborghini buyer on what the brand is about. And that's not to preach what we believe. It's to pull them into the community to help make them a loyal part of it so they continue to be a Lamborghini owner. And if they're doing a two or three year lease, they don't leave for another brand. Well, isn't that absolutely true? Because the more you appreciate the history and really the magic of the mark, the more you come to realize that there's nothing quite like a Lamborghini. The fact is really Lamborghini started as a unique vision with a V12 engine that nobody else had to in every way outperform and outdistance the Ferraris of the era. Lamborghini has always sort of stood for that kind of stake in the ground, upping the ante, really trying to chart their own course and build a better car. There really is a soul to a Lamborghini. It's absolutely a unique Italian soul. Automobili Lamborghini Americas does a lot to support your club and its owners. I think they're becoming more engaged now than they've ever been before. And your club itself has a a number of chapters. Tell us how it's organized. We have some regional directors in different areas. For example, we have two regions in Texas. We have in the south, the Houston region, and in the north, the Dallas region. And then likewise, in California, we have a SoCal and a NorCal region. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of split the state in half. And, you know, there are not enough owners to have, you know, like uh, smaller regional clubs, like, you know, 10 of them in California. Sure. But we've been successful with owners who are enthusiastic about the brand and they are a club member to lead the way and help to organize events. But more importantly, synergize with the dealers to participate in their events. Because, you know, that's easy. A dealer has an event coming up. Let's rally the troops and go have a great time with the dealer. Yeah, talk about how you and the factory get along. Yeah, so it's something that the factory or the brand matured ahead of what the club did. The company really matured with the purchase by Audi around 1998. And the brand started to grow very quickly. Mm -hmm. The introduction of two new models, as you mentioned, with the Murcielago and the Gallardo. And the club was due to mature. And so as the brand was maturing, the club started to mature too. And to mature, meaning do more things than just provide a little bit of social atmosphere and help with spare parts or service or things like that. We started to celebrate the fact that there are so many facets of the brand that you can enjoy. We talked about the vintage experience, the modern car experience. Well, you also have Super Trofeo now. You can go watch a Super Trofeo race and experience the motorsport part of Lamborghini. That's right. You know, so there are a lot of different facets of the brand that are not apparent to somebody that is just coming new into the brand. So the the club matured with rising to what the brand is with our event Monterey, doing events like we have in Dubai, 
and really celebrate the experience that the brand is all about. But with regard to the relationship with the factory, since the inception of the club, the brand and the club have been very close. But over the past 10 years, that has become a more important synergy where we've done a lot of things to support each other. And the future looks brighter and brighter for our cooperation with each other. And we continue to do more. I think that's fantastic because it gives a lot of assurance to owners, too, to know that both the factory and local enthusiast groups are sort of working in tandem to support one another. Yeah, of course. And something important also to recognize about the brand is that you know, Lamborghini executives attend a lot of Lamborghini Club events. That's right. As an owner and club member attending an event, you have access to the decision makers, the executives, the car designers that you would not otherwise have with other car brands. The executives at Lamborghini have made it a priority, not only because it's the right thing to do, but because they enjoy it, interacting with owners and knowing who their customers are and spending time having fun with them. So that is a very notable privilege of being a Lamborghini owner, having access to the people at the company. That's right. And obviously, we're all hoping to be able to have a great time in the not-too-distant future when things get back to whatever normal is. In the meantime, the good news is we can continue to drive our cars and continue to enjoy the camaraderie and some of the conversations. I know you're doing a series of video casts right now with some of your club members. Yeah, that's correct. That's something that our marketing director, Joy Lou, came up with. It was an interesting idea, what can we do during this time with the pandemic, social distancing, people not getting out, being as social in person? How can we connect with owners and share the ownership experience with owners and non-owners? You just go to the Lamborghini Club America YouTube channel or the Lamborghini Club America Facebook page. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. If you're like us, you're looking for a way to make stay at home a little more special. Well, we're going to let you in on our secret. Join Rob Vices to get luxury cocktail kits, toys, tools, tech, and other incredible items delivered straight to your home on a monthly basis. The value is incredible. Your first box is going to be a $400 tequila curation, and you can sign up for as little as 99 bucks a month. Use the code PODCAST, and you'll save an extra 50 bucks at sign up. So head to robvices.com to bring exciting experiences safely to your door. Remember, use the code PODCAST and go to robbvices.com. We're back with Andrew Romanowski. So, Andrew... I know that we probably crossed paths at the 50th anniversary of the Mira yeah. event. And again, a great historical milestone for that particular model of car that I know is very near and dear to you. You've owned a lot of Lamborghinis. You mentioned your Diablo and your Murcielago. And I think mm-hmm. you probably had a... Did you have a Gallardo in there somewhere too? Yeah, I currently own a 2010 um, Gallardo. Well, Andrew, you're being pretty cagey, too, because (laughs) I know you've got these new models, but there's also an older Lamborghini that tugs at your heartstrings. You were actually kind enough to loan one to a little endeavor, and we had an event at uh, one of the last of the Detroit auto shows. What a beautiful Mira that is. What got you into the Miras, other than the fact that they're maybe the most beautiful car in the world? So it's interesting that you ask, back in 2011 or 2012, a club member contacted me and 
he was a gentleman from Pennsylvania. He had owned this 71 Mira since 1972. Wow. That's just about as close to original owner as it gets. Yeah, he bought it from the original owner who had had it maybe not even a year. He imported the car through a dealer on the East Coast. The car was not running at the time. It had not run in 10 years. And the Mira market, even though the Mira is a very well-respected car, the Mira market was not as hot as it is now. Right. So he, he put the word out on the car. He had contacted a number of different people in the community, like Jack Riddell. Jack put it on his finished Lamborghini group chat, and nobody bid on the car. So he had called me, and he said, Hey, Andrew, I see from the club magazine that you have an orange Murcielago. Would you be interested in owning a second orange Lamborghini? And I said, yeah, you know, I, I'd be interested. He said, well, you know, I've been trying to sell my Mira, as you know. Why don't you come out here and take a look at it? And I quickly replied, I wasn't really on the, the market for a vintage car or even a Mira because I didn't know much about the Mira at the time. So he kept the pressure on and he kind of talked me into it. He wanted the car to go to somebody that would celebrate the car within the community and not cheaply pass the car around from owner to owner or dealer to dealer or through a bunch of different auctions or anything like that. Mm -hmm. In his heart, he wanted it to go to an enthusiast that would hopefully carry the ownership of the car as long as he had. Isn't that great? Boy, it sounds like he did you a favor. Yeah. <laughs> he, he did do me a favor, but you know what? It worked for both of us because yeah. I took the car from him and I immediately took it to Evans Auto in Columbus, Ohio. They got the car running for me. George Evans. Yeah, George Evans. You know, he's a fellow Lamborghini owner and runs a repair shop in Columbus, Ohio. He does a huge volume of Countach and Diablos, but he also works on Miras. He sure knows his stuff. And boy, he's owned just about every Lamborghini there is to own. Yeah, he's got quite a collection there. And, you know, the car ended up being parked because um, the starter gear was stripped on the car. So George got that repaired, carefully turned the engine over after lubricating everything. And the car fired up and it was drivable. And so George is like, okay, do you want me to bring the car back up to you? And I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, I came down and I drove it. I enjoyed it. I said, well, let's redo this. And he got that done. Let's do this. And before I knew it, it turned into a full restoration. <laughs> they have a way of doing that, don't they? Yeah, it's hard to stop because once you refurbish or restore an area of the car, even if you do the worst area of the car, the area next to it doesn't look as good anymore. You fall into it easy. Yes, you do. And the good news, of course, is that car is worth restoring because they have such a desirable place in the collector car pantheon that there aren't enough of them to go around. That's true. That's true. And it worked out for me because well, I bought the car in 2011 or 2012. And as we mentioned, 2016 was the 50th anniversary of the Mira. So I had the restoration complete by then. And I was able to get accepted to the Pebble Beach Concourse. They did a class celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Mira. Remember and I was lucky enough to earn third place in the class and cross the ramp at Pebble Beach. That's which was people yeah. get to do. That's fantastic. That is truly fantastic. Yeah, thank you. 
What a great car. It's only fitting that the president of Lamborghini Club America should have the crowning achievement of early Lamborghinis. What a great thing. I know that you had a chance to meet both Marcelo Gandini and Mr. Mm -hmm. Delara, I guess, at the 50th anniversary reunion. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Stanzani, who passed away uh, not too long ago. Really a trifecta of brilliance there, without whom the brand just couldn't have been what it ultimately became. It wasn't just Ferruccio Lamborghini that made the brand great. Yeah, that's true. And you bring up, you know, some in very important players. Another one was Bob Wallace. That's Not right. only was he a test driver, but he was a, you know, a test engineer as well. That's absolutely true. You look at some of the field notes and things from the original build sheets and you'll see that Bob is calling out all kinds of things that need to be fixed. Everything from door hinges that are rattling to yeah. to real substantive remarks and comments about engine performance and drivetrain. So you mentioned Marcelo Gandini, I had the unique opportunity to visit him at his home a few years ago, and I did an interview with him, which is something that is very rare. We did a video interview, and we also took notes, and we published the entire interview in the Lamborghini Club America magazine, La Vida Lamborghini, a couple of years ago. Do tell us about this interview. Yes, the interview, it was very interesting. Meeting Marcelo Gandini, I expected a flamboyant, out there, a loud shirt, something that really screamed extreme design in his character. And he's the most modest man in the world. He's the most modest man in the world. I can't say it more accurately. A quiet man, not too many words. He does not speak English. So I was speaking to him through his daughter, who was working as an interpreter for us. Valentino Belboni was there also to help translate. You know, we sat down for... It was well over an hour, and we talked about his experience at Lamborghini. He told me about some of the more interesting experiences he had with the brand. But we also talked a lot about the design of the different cars that he did for Lamborghini while working at Bertone. And you and I agree that the Mira is one of the most beautiful post-war cars ever created. However, when speaking to Marcelo, he was for sure, proud of his hard work with the Mira. Of course, I cannot speak for him, but my interpretation from the interview was he was no more or less proud of the Mira than he was, say, the Espada. Mm -hmm. You know, he was equally proud of all of his designs. And as he explained to me, each of the designs had its features that came out as he had envisioned them. And flaws in the design. That's right. And I stopped him and I couldn't believe what he said next after I asked him, well, which of your designs had flaws? And he said, well, all of them. And I said, including the Mira? And he smiled and he said, especially the Mira. And I said, what was the flaw in the design? And he kind of gave me a look like it was obvious and I didn't recognize it. He was surprised that I didn't know what the flaw in the design was. So he pointed over to a picture. There was a perfect front-on shot of the car. And he's like, take a look at that picture and tell me what you think. So my simple explanation was it was the most beautiful car I've ever seen. And I think he was expecting me to know what he was talking about. And the disappointing part of the design for him was the width of the tires and wheels. Right. He explained to me that the design that he had envisioned had wider tires. 
And he said at the time, that was the widest tire you could buy for a passenger car. And he said it really bothered him and it still bothers him to this day. Well, he was certainly light years ahead because today, of course, it's all about filling out those wheel wells and getting as large a wheel as possible underneath that car. Yeah. I mean, really, he was just uh, he was just full of brilliant, brilliant ideas. Yeah. And what's amazing is he didn't do that with modern technology like a computer. That's right. Where you could play with different designs and quickly move things around. He was doing this on a drafting board with a pencil, a ruler, and an eraser. That's right. And he was in his early 20s. They all were in their early 20s, I guess, between Wallace, Danzani, Delara, and Gandini. You put them all together, and they weren't more than 110 years old. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Ferruccio himself was only in his mid-40s when he started his company, I guess. Yeah. So, well, you know, Andrew, you talked about your interview with Marcella Gandini and LaVita. I want to tell you how much I enjoy the magazine. I'm, Thank you. of course, a member of the club. I wouldn't have it any other way. I believe that a VIP membership is the only way to fly because that not only supports your organization, but it gets me a nifty carbon fiber membership card. I think I've got a stack of them here over the years. I collect them all, but I also collect your magazine, and that comes with the VIP membership, and what a great magazine it is. I know what it takes to put out a magazine, and my hat's off to you for being able to publish such a professional, professional product. La Vida is just fantastic. Comes out twice a year, is that right? Yeah, we come out with an issue for the spring, summer, and then we do one for the fall, and each issue is 100 pages, and it covers what's going on in the community and kind of updates people on the latest news, as well as provides some historical content to help educate people and show them what the brand was about years ago and to keep the entire experience relevant to everyone. Well, that's what I really like about it. Is you can look through the magazine and you can see not just new cars, but some fantastic historical examples, both photographed today and also occasionally some great historic images that shine a light on the past. Yeah, thank you. It's a collaboration. I work with a small team to put the magazine together, but the most important element of the magazine is the content comes from all over. We get a lot of different owners, mostly in America, that submit articles and content and photos, but we also have club members from around the world that submit things going on in their part of the world that's interesting and educating for people to read about, especially the club members we have in Europe, them being closer to the factory, they can attend more factory events and do more celebrations. It's something nice that helps to keep everybody in sync with what's going on with the Lamborghini community. Well, you know, before this lockdown, Andrew, you actually had a pretty far reach too. I know that Lamborghini Club America has done some really interesting world events. Talk about your Dubai event that you did. Yeah, that's an interesting event that you bring up. I mentioned her name before, Joy Lou. She is our marketing and events lead for the club. She engineers and is kind of the architect of the bigger events we do. With her being a marketing professional, something that she's always thinking forward on is what's next for the club or what should the club be doing? So she does surveys every now and then. And a couple of years ago, she did a survey for an international club event. There are a number of different locations that came up. Dubai was one of the top. And so she started designing a Dubai experience for Lamborghini owners. And so we went there 
And we had almost 40 people that went with us. So it was a a sizable group. We did this back in early November of 2019. We stayed at one of the best hotels there. We had, we went to the Burj Al Arab. We went to the Burj Khalifa. We hit all of the check boxes for everything you need to do in Dubai. And then we had two days where we rented Lamborghinis for the group and we did Lamborghini drive. We went up to the highest peak in elevation in the UAE and we we did one heck of a drive and the roads there were absolutely phenomenal. I hear they're glass smooth. Yeah, it's just wonderful roads. Yeah, they are. Inside the city, it seems like they have a traffic camera every 100 meters. <laughs> but once you get outside of the city, it's a lot more friendly to a little bit more spirited driving. The experience was amazing. You know, for multiple reasons too. A lot of owners from that area joined us for the drive and for a big dinner that we did. Get to speak with owners from a different part of the world that you normally don't engage with. How many Lamborghini owners from the Middle East have you met before? Exactly. Uh, zero. Yeah, zero. And before this trip, I hadn't you know, met any either. It was really neat to see how people interpret the Lamborghini experience the same way that we do here. That's really interesting. It's funny that certain brands just have an almost worldwide appeal. And even though people embrace them a little differently, they pull at the heartstrings in exactly the same way. Yeah. Talking about the brand, Andrew, clearly Lamborghini is in a place today where they've become a major player in the world of luxury exotics. And like so many luxury car brands, they've embraced the SUV as a way of not just staying in business, but expanding their reach. What do you think of the new Eurus? And how do you think that's going to affect not just the brand, but maybe get invited into your club too? So it's a very good question, Robert. And it's something that a lot of people have asked me. My initial hope for the Eurus before it came out was that it would feature the same V10 as the Huracan, like the LM did taking its engine from the Countach. That's right. That big V12 and that thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a little disappointed when it was announced that it was going to have a V8 in it. And then I got to drive the car and I experienced that it has all of the power and more that it needs. And then some of my friends start buying the Urus mm-hmm. and more of my friends start buying Uruses. And then I realized that as much as this car is being driven, and they answered the call of duty with the performance of the engine that, you know, they made the appropriate choice for the engine of the car. Fuel economy reasons, maintainability, things like that. It didn't need to have a monster power plant like the Huracan or the Aventador. That's what I was imagining in my head is something that was limited production like the LM, but that wasn't the purpose of the car or really the need of the car. As I understand it, the purpose of the car is not just to expand the reach of Lamborghini into new markets, but was a way of allowing them to keep a fairly limited production of sports cars. In other words, if they can subsume a half or more of their production into the SUV arena, produce, pick a number, 4,000, 6,000 units a year, it means that they can continue to make just about 4,000 sports cars and never get bigger than that. Because I think One of the things that's really exciting about Lamborghini and makes it special is that people know they're always going to be rare. Yeah. A Lamborghini sports car is always going to be a rare thing. And you know the factory's not going to ramp up production and produce six or eight or 10,000 just because they can. So I think in a lot of ways, we have to take our hat off to the Euros because it lets Lamborghini stay in the business of making sports cars 
and yet it lets them stay in business. Yeah, that's true. And sustainability for a business is, of course, the most important thing because without products like the Eurus, we would not have a currently existing brand to talk about and support from the factory like we need. That's right. But to answer your question was that a lot of us live in parts of the country where the Lamborghini experience is only seasonable. It never snows in uh, Michigan, does it? (laughs) (laughs) Robert, it was snowing when I loaded the Mira to take it to the Detroit Auto Show. That car car is actually... It's actually seen snow before, <laughs> but you know, I've seen a lot of my Lamborghini friends that have bought a Urus. They're, they're driving them year round. So they're really getting to embrace the experience more than they ever have before. It's true. And let's make no mistake. That is, and I've driven all the SUVs, everything from the Rolls Royce to the Bentleys and everybody in between. Mm-hmm. And every one of those brands has its allure. But when it comes to performance, when it comes to actually, you talk about DNA, that Lamborghini Urus is like nothing else on the planet, like no other SUV. Yeah, I agree. The first time I had the opportunity to drive one a couple of years ago was... I was at the factory and I was given the privilege to drive one. I expected something extreme, but I had no idea to what extent. And the Urus exceeded all of my expectations in many ways. (laughs) You know, for an SUV, it's the fastest top speed. It has the quickest acceleration and it has the best braking performance. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. A moment of your time. A new podcast from Kurt Co Media. Currently 21 years old, and today I felt like I'm magic extended from her fingertips down to the you base of my You have to take care spine. of yourself because the world needs you and Trust your Trust me, voice. every do-gooder that asked about me was ready to spit on my but dream. Her fingers were facing me. You can feel like your purpose and your worth is really being questioned. going to stop me from playing the piano. She buys walkie-talkies. Wonders to whom she should give the second device. Cats don't love humans. We never did. We never will. We just find the ones that The beauty of rock climbing is that you can only focus on what's right in life. And so our American life begins. We may need to stay apart, but let's create together. Available on all podcast platforms. Submit your piece at kurtcode.com slash a moment of your time. We're back with Andrew Romanowski. Yeah, on the topic of giving advice to owners, I'd like to add in something else. The importance of getting a pre-purchase inspection before you buy a Lamborghini. Mm -hmm. If you're buying a modern model, getting a pre-purchase inspection by a dealer is absolutely priceless. It doesn't matter what the dealer charges. It is absolutely worth it. And then with a vintage Lamborghini, seeking out someone that owns one of those models that's been with the brand, like yourself with a 400 GT mm-hmm. or going to a shop like Evans Automotive or somebody else that knows the cars, that is absolutely invaluable to help you understand what you are buying. That's true. Yeah. It's going to set you on a path of having a successful and enjoyable ownership experience because you know what you bought or you know what you should be buying. And you know what to expect. You know, a lot of times people go into this not really understanding what the so-called animal husbandry is going to be. Yeah, true. Somebody says, hey, I think it'd be really nice to have a pot-bellied pig, but you realize (laughs) they're cute when they're little, but man, they do get big on you. And sometimes these Lamborghinis can get big on you too if you're not anticipating the complicated aspects of care and feeding of some of the older cars. Another point point of advice that with my role of the club, I see the good, the bad, the ugly, as far as the ownership experience. We touched on one. The other 
is the insurance company that you choose to insure your car. Oh, good point. Although most insurance companies will insure a Lamborghini, different insurance companies have different features about them that could make it really difficult for you to recover the value of your car if you have a loss. That's a very good point. You want an agreed value insurance policy. Absolutely. And if you talk to fellow club members, you can find out, hey, what was it like if you made a claim with this company? Did you get a door ding or did something happen? And it's very important to understand the way you're taking care of your car. And that includes the service shop that you go to, the insurance you're paying for, and the gasoline you're putting in your car. Every decision you make for your car is important. Robert, what are some of the other big things that people do wrong or wrong assumptions they have about the brand? I think when it comes to the older cars, they assume that cars are just like owning any old domestic car. And the problem is they're not because parts availability is definitely an important consideration. Sometimes they just aren't thick on the ground. The other challenge is in restoring an older car. Having restored mine and gone through that process over the course of almost a decade and a half, it's clear that there are no manuals and no textbooks on what constitutes an accurate and precise restoration. And it really requires a lot of detective work. Porsche owners and Mercedes owners and BMW owners have it easy because there were so many cars made and there's so much documentation that they can go back and actually understand exactly what the correct parts and techniques and procedures were when these cars were put together. Brands like Mercedes-Benz even reproduce brand new components for their old cars. Unfortunately, Lamborghini is not a them. There just weren't enough cars made. So if you're trying to bring an old Urocco back to life, or if you're trying to do some work on one of the cars from the 60s or early 70s, chances are you're going to come up against some real challenges when it comes to finding or fabricating parts. You make a lot of good points, Robert, but just keep in mind, I don't think it should scare anybody away from the experience, but it is an experience that requires more of a hands-on involvement in a restoration or repair. And to me, it makes you closer with your car and it makes you enjoy the brand even more and it makes you more proud to own it. I completely agree. There's nothing like getting in there and actually trying to pull some brake boosters out of the ass end of a Lamborghini 400 GT and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> or maybe the fuel tanks out of an old 350. I mean, that's a, that's a... Good luck with that. Yeah, good luck with that indeed. So Robert, you've asked me a lot of questions. So do you mind if I uh, ask a couple questions I don't think I've ever asked you before? Good heavens, I'm I, I <laughs> delighted, honored and delighted. When did you first experience the Lamborghini brand? You know, I mentioned that I became an owner in 2005. I had had some other touch points, which I could talk about a little later, but when did you first come in contact with the brand? Well, that's ancient history, actually. I remember my first introduction to Lamborghini was going down to the SD Zipper Porsche Lamborghini dealership on Wilshire Boulevard. My dad had a 912, and we went in there to get some work done, and on the floor was a mirror, and I had never seen anything like that in my life oh before. My gosh. This was one of the earliest. It was probably 68 or 69, right when the car was absolutely brand new. It was a P400. Mm-hmm. And on the lot outdoors were some of the used cars. And I remember there was a 275 GTB, and there was a 400 GT. Wow. And that 400 GT, when I saw that, I said to myself, that is the most 
incredible car in the world and uh, even got a picture of myself leaning up against it. Oh my gosh. With a little brownie camera. <laughs> I think I was all of 12 years old. Uh-huh. And that's when it started for me, Andrew. And of course, I followed Lamborghini throughout the ensuing years and came close to buying one here and there, but never really had the time or resources to pursue the care and feeding of such a special old machine. Equally enamored of many of the cars that followed, certainly the early generation Countach's were the car that probably saw more posters on the bedroom walls than any car in history. I was a little older by then, so for me, it was not on the bedroom wall, but I still have a fondness for the early Countach's as well. You know, you sort of decide what means something to you early on. And you touch on something that's very important to me, and most Lamborghini owners are very respectful of young people and very inviting. But to just reinforce that, anytime you run into a young person or somebody that's interested in your Lamborghini, I always take a few minutes to talk with them and tell them a little bit about the brand because you never know they could be buying your car from you in the future. You know, it's really true, Andrew. I remember going to a local Concours probably about six or seven years ago and there was some young guy there who absolutely was in love with my car. Mm -hmm. He just kind of hung around and he's looking and I could tell that it was something really special. He was rather timid, didn't really want to strike up a conversation, so I made it easy for him. I ended up giving him a ride. Oh, nice. And of course, he thought he'd died and gone to heaven. Uh, But, you know, it sort of made the difference. I thought, well, gosh, this might actually be a game changer for this person. Yeah. You know, to the extent that you'll get a taste of an old Lamborghini that ordinarily would never have a chance to experience. It's protecting the future of these cars by keeping young people interested because they're going to keep the brand alive in the future. So, of course, now younger collectors are looking at cars that they can afford, cars made in the 80s and even the 90s, which is a way of saying, I never thought a Gallardo or a Murcielago <laughs> would be a classic Lamborghini, but it's just a matter of time. Yeah. Actually, give you a last year Murcielago with a cue ball shifter. That's as one brute beast and maybe one of the last analog Lamborghinis. What do you think? You never know. I mean, they might come out with some kind of a tribute in the future, like Porsche's done. Probably not. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to happen. I think that was the last of the manual gearbox cars for Lamborghini, in my opinion or my estimation. I think you're probably right. But you know, you think about social media and all the talk about remaining relevant, that applies to exactly what we're talking about now with everything that Lamborghini is doing. They are remaining relevant in all aspects of ownership, motorsport, the vintage cars, the modern cars, Mm -hmm. and that is protecting the future of the brand. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't fall out of view like some of these other brands that you've mentioned. I think taking a role in motorsport, not just a role, but actually a winning position has helped Lamborghini immeasurably in terms of building a worldwide audience of enthusiasts. Of course, of course. Well, Andrew, I like to surprise all my guests and ask them the question, if you had a genie in a bottle and the genie popped out and said that you can have any three cars that your imagination desires, what would they be, Andrew? My first one would be an LP400 Periscope Countach. That was the first Lamborghini that I ever had real contact with that I I got to sit in and actually touch. You mentioned your experience was around 12 years old. This was about 10 or 11 years old for me. That's a great first choice. What about two more? So the second car, although the value isn't as high as some of the cars we've been talking about, is a 93 Cobra Mustang. When I was in high school, that was the hottest car you could imagine. 
And the Mustang GT at the time, I believe, had about 220 horsepower. That's right. The Cobra Mustang, which came in black, red, or teal, had 245 horsepower. And I remember going up to the Ford dealer just to look at one. And there was a sign in the window that said, no test drives. You could only go for a ride in it with the sales manager <laughs> due to the high horsepower. <laughs> now, this was 245 horsepower. Oh, that's okay? great. That's great. And now you have front wheel drive cars that would blow that thing away. That's right. What a great story. Yeah, but in that time, it was the ultimate car for me. But it was still kind of within my reach. I had a few-year-old Mustang GT, which I referred to as a Rustang because I live in Michigan, and it was pretty rusted out. But you know that was kind of imaginable, but not within my reach. So choice two would be the 93 Cobra Mustang, maybe even the GT version. That's great. The third car, I would have to go back and think, but I would keep it at Ford and it would be an original Ford GT. You get no argument there. That was a real piece of work. Yeah. And after seeing the recent movie on it, it kind of reinforces how relevant that car is. And I know that you were friends with some people that were involved in that car, Carol Shelby. Yeah. Yeah. And at the Amelia Island Concourse this year, which was like two weeks before the pandemic hit, this short story I have is just to show you the importance, not that you should ever expect anything out of being nice to strangers, but we were in the restaurant there at the Amelia Island at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, and there was a gentleman looking for somewhere to sit for lunch. They weren't seating single people, so he was kind of stuck. We had an extra chair at the table. And a friend and I invited him to sit down. This gentleman sat down. We got to talk and he fit right in with us. We parted ways and I see him out on the show field two hours later standing next to a Ford GT40. <laughs> so I strike up some conversation with him and I'm like, wow, you gravitated to the same place on the field I did. And he's like, well, I've been here all day. <laughs> and I said, oh, you're, you're the caretaker for the car. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm the caretaker for the car. <laughs> he said, I'm also the one paying the bills for it. <laughs> what a great <laughs> so, story. What a great story. If you can believe it, I was asking him all kinds of questions about the car. Like a true kid, absolutely enthused about the car. He opened the door and let me sit in the car. Isn't that great? Thanks for sharing that, Andrew. This is a great conversation, and I really appreciate your spending time with us from Michigan, and I sure look forward to seeing you next year, Andrew, in person on the show field or at an event yeah. and having a little fun with our Lamborghinis when the things return to normal. Yeah, it sounds good, Robert. And as always, let's stay in contact and keep pushing forward to do everything we can for the Lamborghini brand. Thanks to Andrew Romanowski, president of Lamborghini Club America, for joining us today on Cars That Matter. Come back next time as we continue to talk about the passions that drive us and the passions we drive. This episode of Cars That Matter was hosted by Robert Ross. Produced by Chris Porter. Edited by Chris Porter. Theme song by Celeste and Eric Dick. Additional music and sound by Chris Porter. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. I'm Robert Ross. Thanks for listening. Kurt Co. Media. Media for your mind.